Mark Sahaba, the voice of Ahlus Sunnah wal Jamaah. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Esteemed listeners of Mark Sahaba, the voice of Ahlus Sunnah wal Jamaah, we welcome you to this uh, advice segment, and this is with Mufti Muhammad Aku Damud Barakatu. Let's welcome Mufti Sab. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh, Mufti Sab. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa for the opportunity. Barakallahu feekum and welcome to one and all. Jazakumullah khairan for joining us, Mufti Sab. All well on your side? Allah's karam, Allah's mercy, Allah help our ummah. Gaza in Palestine and in the four corners of the I mean, Mufti Sab, I was just seeing just now on the news, reading, in fact, and it's so strange. Um, on Al Jazeera, they had this this article about this. They call them the pitch invaders. So while this, we're not interested in football and soccer and all of that, but I'm just drawing this attention to say that a non-Muslim, he runs on the field with a flag saying, uh, stop killing the children in Gaza. And he's a non-Muslim and he understands this. Yeah. We as Muslim, mean, we're not saying we must run on the streets or whatever it is, but how much must we have this concern for our children in Gaza and what can we do about it also? Allah Akbar, definitely. Allah uh, Ta'ala, make it easy for the Ummah and Subhanallah, really what people are going through is so sad. I was just hearing an incident, uh, a report of a brother by the name of uh, Dr. Izzuddin and in the last uh, few days he's lost 20 of his family members, his direct family. Some years ago he lost his daughter and uh, he, he was phoning, he was being interviewed and he cried and he said, Allah, you help me, Allah, you help me. Ya Rab, an Arab brother, Palestinian. And just in the last few days, he lost 20 of his you know, relatives, daughters, nephews, nieces. And subhanAllah, and uh, how he was turning to Allah and he was saying, let's stop this uh, atrocities and the oppression that the people of Palestine are going through. And I want to just go into this, how they are suffering for so many years. Historically, we look at it when the, 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 the when the Hurtism, which we mentioned a bit of last week, but I want to continue with the discussion, because what happened thereafter, when he asked Sultan Abdul Hamid, Rahimahullah, uh, that, you know, we are loyal servants of the Ottomans, and you'll have been good to us. So subhanAllah, look at the wisdom of Sultan Abdul Hamid. He knew what was going on. He was such a sultan who ruled from the years 1876 to 1909. Hmm. And one of the ahadith of Rasulullah, Abu Dara's report, where he was hearing from Nabi some of the scriptures of the previous books. What an amazing, lengthy hadith. In this this report, Nabi said it came in Ibrahim scriptures. That a wise man should know what's going on around the world. And Rasulullah he who has no care of what happens to the Ummah is mm. not part of them. So what look at Sultan Abdul Hamid. He says to Tirdul Hatizal that you say here in front of me with hypocrisy that you are loyal servants of the Ottomans and you are ours, you are loyal to us. But why is it that you are writing something else in your media? Mm. So uh Hertizel was shocked. He realized Sultan Abdul Hamid is too sharp for him. And Sultan Abdul Hamid knew exactly what he's doing. Because instead of showing kindness and appreciation to the Ottomans, who were their mothers and fathers, when nobody in the world could open their hand and stretch a hand of kindness and open their arms to them, 
It was the Ottoman Empire, and it was the Muslims. But the few, first, one or two incidents that uh, they'll just use everything to blame Muslims. But the kindnesses and the compassion and the, the, the Muslims showed them. So Sultan Abdul Hamid asked him of this. And he, in turn, said, no, it's just, you know, for politics and so forth. So he said, that is total injustices. Then he said that, you know, we've come, because he came from this meeting in Berlin and uh, and in Paris and all the Zionists got together and they wanted a land for them. So they were offered other areas. They were offered South America. They were offered uh, in Africa. They insisted they wanted this because of their misunderstanding and they walked, they walked understanding, you know, of this whole thing. Sheikh Ahmed Didat, rahimahullah, explains this so well, where he quotes from their books that they are not the people of this land. And they are were kicked out from there. And they are to be punished seven times over. Allah reward Shaykh for explaining this. One is it's clear in the, in the Quran and the Sunnah. But even their books portray that they are were replaced by the Ummah of Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. And because of the atrocities they carried out, they are to be punished seven times over. Hmm. Uh, in this, uh, Sultan Abdul Hamid said, you because he came with the, with the request that we want you to give us this place in Palestine. So he said, never. How can I give you what doesn't belong to me? This belongs to the Ummah. Mm. It's a land which has a people. How can I give you a people's land? It's the land of the Ummah, of Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. I'm only a servant and, and responsible for this Ummah. I can't give you what doesn't belong to me. And subhanAllah, his response to Theodore Hertel shocked him, even though he came with a big offer. Because the Jews, because of their uh, ways and their crooked methods of business, and they usually, and that's why many countries of the world didn't want them, because of the way they would just control people's lives and bring about so many evil practices. That's why they were kicked out. Here now, they had a lot of wealth. They're offering Sultan Abdul Hamid 50 million golden gold coins, golden janis, janihiyat, al-dhahab, for the treasury, for the Baytul Mal, and five million under the table for Sultan Abdul Hamid. And look at his response. He said, بَلِّغُ الدُّكْتُورَ هَرْتَذَلْ أَلَّا يَبْدُلَ بَعْدَ الْيَوْمِ شَيْئًا عَنِ الْمُحَاوَلَ فِي هَذَا الْأَمْرِ Tell him, notify him, that he should not even try this again. I'm not prepared to release even a hand span of this land to go anywhere else. Because the land, this is the lands of the Ummah. And its soil was quenched with the blood of this Ummah. Let the Jews keep their millions. I'm not prepared to carry such a blemish in history. Hmm. I cannot betray this amana that the Muslims have entrusted upon me. And then he said, but you're lying debted. So he says, the debts of the Ottomans, that's not a blemish when we are paying our debts. Because then Sultan Abdul Hamid took over. The few rulers before him had started becoming very opulent. And they started building a lot of uh, unwanted, unnecessary palaces. And this was also because they had, you know, the deen had started becoming weak in them. And following the sunnah had started, you know, going down in them. And now, the position Allah gave them in the initial stages, where they were the most advanced 
and the most respected in the world had now been diminishing and retrogressing. So that's why they wanted to win that over and they thought they'll win over the applaud of the West through opulence and stylish palaces and so forth. So they used a lot of, wasted a lot of money in that. So when Sultan Abdul Hamid took over, ya Allah, how Allah put him in position also because his uncle Abdul Aziz, Sultan Abdul Aziz was such an amazing man. Sultan Abdul Aziz, he was also the Sultan. But Abdul Aziz, rahimahullah, and subhanAllah, look at his service. Even there's a masjid in, uh, in, in, in PE, alhamdulillah, funded by Sultan Abdul Aziz, known as Masjid Aziziyah. And there's a masjid in Johannesburg, Masjid Hamidiyah, which was funded by Sultan Abdul Hamid, rahimahullah ta'ala. This masjid, in uh, the, Sultan Abdul Aziz even sent in the early 1800s, sent an, an alim to Cape Town, uh, uh, Sheikh Abu Bakr al-Afandi, rahimahullah. And he sent him to teach Allah's deen because some South Africans were met in the Hajj and the ignorance in them and so forth was clear because that was the early stages. Alhamdulillah, after Allah Ta'ala accepted and great works and so forth. Mm. But Shaykh Abu Bakr came and taught Allah's deen. And he wrote the first fiqh book in Afrikaans using, using Arabic uh, numerals. Alhamdulillah. Mm. And when Sultan Abdul Hamid became the Khalifa, he returned to Turkey to congratulate him and meet him and give him a report of how deen is spreading in South Africa. Mm. Alhamdulillah. To such an extent, even during uh, World War, there was an Australian ship that came by at the Cape and they saw so many people with uh, red topis and that was the Ottoman Kufia. So uh, they, they thought, that, oh, this is an Ottoman state also. They got worried and they rushed back into the ship. An interesting incident that happened there. Back to this, Sultan Abdul Hamid, rahimahullah ta'ala, he was the nephew of Sultan Abdul Aziz and how Allah ta'ala made it that Sultan Abdul Hamid was not even expecting to be the Khalif. And the West were trying to topple the Khilafah because they had, before that, co- tried to convince Sultan Murad towards this new world order system and so forth. And Allah's will, he became the ruler and he got very sick and within a few months he was removed. And Abdul Hamid, who never expected to be the Khalifa, and Allah Ta'ala gave him that position. The West had thought that the Ottoman Khilafah was collapsing already, but they didn't realize that Sultan Abdul Hamid was no ordinary man to contend with. He said to Tidl Hattazal that keep your millions. This is a blemish that I'll never bear in history. I'll never give up. Basically, he's saying over my dead body. The Beit al-Maqdis was conquered by the Muslims and the keys was handed over to Hazrat Umar anhu. From that time, it is in the Ummah. وَلَسْتُ مُسْتَعِدًّا أَنْ He said the same thing. But I'm not prepared. He reiterated to bear this blemish in history, to sell it, sell it, and betray the trust of the ummah of our Nabi sallallahu alaihi wasallam. Then the Masons came in, and the, the the Jews had the system of donmere Jews, and they made their way towards the removal of Sultan Abdul Hamid and so forth. But anyway, day after after World War One, sadly, when the Muslims split, then uh, the Jews started coming in slowly into Palestine, even though there were very few. And the Palestinians were very kind to them. And as time went on, after World War II and the Jews came out of the Holocaust also, they started coming into Palestine in abundance. And they started carrying out atrocities against the local Muslims, the Palestinians. And this happened in the year 1947, where British 
you know, gave up the mandate because they had the mandate of Palestine after World War One, and uh, they actually were paving the way for the Jews to take over for the, Israel, uh, for, the, for, the for them to take over Palestine. And what they did was they gave it over and they handed it over to the UN. And in 1947, what the UN did was they, and subhanAllah, after the Jews came in and massacred in towns, and up till today the documentary is available, these documents, these historical events are available where they came into cities after cities and massacred man, woman, and child. They went into a town that had an agreement with them called Deir Yasin and killed almost everyone. And every city after that got worried. And they're kicking out everyone and they're just mis- displacing the Muslims and placing their people. Uh, and in that, Muslims started migrating to all different other areas, going to Egypt or or Jordan or Lebanon. They didn't know where to go. And that's when the Arabs got together to fight back. And in this war, this is another famous war that took place in the year 48, 1367, Hijri, 48, 1948. And in this war, it was the Arabs on the one side and Israel on the other. And in this war, at first, the, the, the Arabs were winning in the battle. And then the UN stepped in to actually call for a ceasefire. And in the ceasefire, they said this is a one-month ceasefire and no one is allowed to acquire weapons. And look at their dirty methods in that one month. The Arabs abided. But the Israelis reinforced themselves via Britain and America with the latest uh, weapons and so forth. Mm. At first, when the Arabs were winning, they put a stop and a halt to the war. And now, thereafter, they had the latest weapons available and they defeated in that war. And this, these atrocities are carrying on. What can these suppressed and oppressed people do? That's why as an ummah, we have to speak about this history. We have to look at what happened. The world was silent for so long. People didn't know. Now, alhamdulillah, at least Allah Ta'ala is making the truth appear even to the non-Muslim world, where Allah Ta'ala is making people speak that was not expected to speak, mm. even though the false narrative is still out there. That's why as Muslims, we have to speak the truth, explain to people the beauty of Islam, connect to the Quran, come back to the Quran and the sunnah of Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Make sure our fajr, our tahajjud, and our salah, and our amal, and our ibadah is increased. Make sure whatever we can, send for our brothers, in Palestine and make sure we try our best to leave sins a sinful life and all our non-Muslim associates contacts uh, people we deal with we interact with explain to them talk about what is going on talk, talk about Islam and talk about what is happening to the oppressed people by the occupiers may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make it easy for the ummah of our Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam Ameen, Ameen. Jazakumullah khairan muftisa for this um, alert also for this ummah to engage in the history of this ummah and how blood was spilt and how we should be alert. Muftisa, regarding the events that took place towards this end of this Rabiul Akhir as well as the beginning of Jumad al-Ula, Muftisa can inform us about this. Alhamdulillah, this is also to do with history and this is something important as Muslims to know what happens in the months we are living through and in this month Rabi'u Thani we discussed a few incidents another like we mentioned Hittin the famous expedition where Salahuddin Rahimahullah aspired to liberate Palestine and Masjid Al-Aqsa and we did discuss that 
Another sad event that happened in in this month was, was in the year 505 after Hijrah. And that was the death of the great scholar, Imam Ghazali, rahimahullah. He was a Shafi'i scholar. Such an amazing scholar he was. He studied in the madaris of Nidhamul Mulk, rahimahullah. And this Nidhamul Mulk is a man we should remember. He was the minister under the Suljuk dynasty in our history. And he was a scholar, he was a alim. And he was dedicated to bring alive Ahlus Sunnah and Deen. He established many madaris. And the greatest madaris in the Muslim world were all under the supervision of Nidhamul Mulk, rahimahullah ta'ala. To such an extent that even Malik Shah, the Sujuk Sultan, asked him, how much are you spending on these madaris? What's the benefit of it? And subhanAllah, he explained to him that, see my son, this is what will preserve our deen. And these righteous people, when they grow in these madaris and study Allah's deen, they will become Allah's friends and their du'as will be with us. And then Malik Shah then says to him, Father, or Buzruk, Nizam al-Mulk was known as Buzruk, you carry on. Where are you investing this wealth? In the, in the, in the, in the educating this ummah and giving them deen and educating them and nurturing the ummah. This is the best avenues to spend. Alhamdulillah. And in these madaris, was, who studied in these madaris was Imam Ghazali, Muhammad ibn Ahmad al-Ghazali and his brother Ahmad. They grew up as orphans and Allah blessed them and they studied in these madaris. And in the madrasa, which was Nidhamiyya in Baghdad, Allama Ghazali rahimahullah, became the deen, the main teacher in this huge madrasa. This was the first of its kind. Before there was a system where every masjid was a madrasa and different sciences were taught and so forth. Here, the system of many teachers in one structure, like a Darul Ulum system and so forth, was, you know, this among the early establishers of this was Nidhamul Mulk rahimahullah ta'ala. But then comes the amazing incident where this great scholar wanted to leave for reformation. And he left everything to reform and travel and so amazing. And when he came back after those 11 years, he was called back by the Abbasid Khalifa himself. But what saddened him was, before that, Nidhamul Mulk was killed. Now remember this Nidhamul Mulk, who killed him is, is, is shocking. And then Nidhamul Mulk's son, was also killed. And who killed them was a sect called the Batinites. And these were the Shia who killed these great people. And look into this history, respected Ummah of Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, we'll find the great Muslim scholars and rulers who were serving Islam, who were defending Islam. We find that the greatest setbacks Muslims suffered was when they were stabbed in the back by those who swear Sahaba. Mm. Imagine Nidham al-Mulk was killed by them. Then we all know Salahuddin Ayyubi, we mentioned him. We mentioned uh, Nuruddin was the teacher of Salahuddin. And then we mentioned Imaduddin, who was the father of Nuruddin. Imaduddin was killed by those who swear and disrespect Sahaba. Radiallahu ta'ala anhum. The, uh, the Shia. And Allahu Akbar. This man pretended to be a servant of Imaduddin. And Imaduddin was trying to liberate the lands of Islam. This person took months to win him over and then served him in his tent at night and in his sleep, he slit his throat and killed him. So this is a recurring event that happened throughout our history. That's what 
saddened Imam Ghazali and he didn't go back to Baghdad. He returned to his town, Tus, because he had Niramul Mulk was killed and his son was killed by the same, uh, uh, you know, deviant people. And he stayed in Tus, running his khanqa and teaching deen and so forth. And then towards the end of his life, he started studying more hadith. And what we learned, subhanAllah, a great scholar whose life was in learning and teaching and inspiring. We all know his kitab, Ihya'u Ulum al-Din, but towards the end of his life, he, he wanted to study the hadith of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, because obviously this was humility, but he felt that he needed to know more. Alhamdulillah. And he did Bukhari Sharif and Sahih Muslim and all the books. Probably he was doing it again. But this was the amazing uh, incident that happened. He also was passed away in this month. So this was Jumad al-Rabi'u'l-Thani. In Jumad al-Ula, among the famous incidents that took place in our history was that of Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam's travel. Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam went to where his sahaba, we discussed this in Rajab, where sahaba were killed by a tribe waiting who called for them and they went there, Be'er Ma'una. In this month, which was in the sixth year, in this month, Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa went to that area to make dua for the Sahaba who passed away there and see to the tribes that killed the Sahaba. Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa wanted to take them to task. This was known as the Banu Lihyan. Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa went there and these people ran for their lives. Anyway, he camped there with Sahaba anhum for a few days and he sent Sahaba to the different areas to meet the people and so forth. And that journey was 14 days. Another very pertinent event that took place in this month, Jumad al-Ula, is the famous incident, Ma'raka Mu'ta, the expedition Ghazwa Mu'ta. And this happened in the eighth year, Jumad al-Ula, coinciding with August, the year 629. And this was among the most difficult expeditions Sahaba radiallahu anhum undertook. And what caused this was, in the early seventh year, Nabi sallallahu alayhi wasallam sent Sahaba radiallahu anhum to different countries of the world with letters, inviting those kings and chiefs and rulers to Islam. Like Nabi sallallahu alayhi wasallam sent Hazrat Hatim to Egypt radiallahu anhu. Nabi sallallahu alayhi wasallam sent Hazrat Dihya to the Roman Empire and to meet the Caesar and invite him to Islam. Nabi sallallahu alayhi wasallam sent Hazrat Abdullah bin Khadafa Sahmi radiallahu anhu to Persia. Nabi sallallahu alayhi wasallam sent Hazrat Amr bin Umayyah al-Bamri radiallahu anhu. Like this, he sent Sahaba all over. He sent a Sahabi that we should remember, Hazrat Harith bin Umayr al-Azdi radiallahu anhu, with a letter to meet the ruler of Busra. Busra is Borsa, a town in Syria, a town in Sham. Like Hazrat Dihya went to meet the Roman Emperor, but this Sahabi was to meet a Christian Arab ruler known as the Ghassasina, the Ghassani king, this Ghassani king. And as the Sahabi was inviting him to Islam, and he presented Rasulullah's letter, this man, this Ghassani Arab Christian king or chief there, they were under the Roman Empire. He got the Sahabi tied. This man's name was Shurahbin. He got the Sahabi tied, and his head was severed. And this was a major crime, killing an emissary, a letter bearer. This was an open announcement of an ultimatum of warfare. And that's when Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi sent Sahaba anhum on this expedition. 3,000 Sahaba were prepared. And Allah's Nabi sallallahu appointed his beloved, Hib Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, Hazrat Zayd bin Haritha, 
who was his adopted son, but Islam abolished this system. That you treat one as your son, but you can't change the name of any human being or his father's name, because that is the respect given to every person and their father. Hazrat Zaid bin Haritha was made the commander. And if Hazrat Zaid was to be made Shaheed, then Jafar. And if Hazrat Jafar, then Hazrat Abdullah bin Rawaha, radiallahu anhu. Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa tied their banners and they traveled and they left. And Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam bidded them farewell. Then the Christian Arabs came to meet them with other Romans. History reports that the army that they fought was equivalent to 200,000. 200,000 were coming to meet the Sahaba in this expedition. And Sahaba are traveling for so many days and they get right to the borders and they are awaiting this battle and the enemy come to them to meet them with such a large number. Sahaba now consult, what are we to do? Should we go, should we write to Rasulullah subhanAllah and Abdullah bin Rawaha and others stand up and say, you know what? Allah is going to help us. It's not with numbers. Allah is going to help us. And he gave this encouragement. And they encouraged each other. Do you remember, Badr? Do you remember what happened there? And Allahu Akbar, they continued. And they strove. And subhanAllah, this famous incident that we all can study and read in the seerah of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. How bravely did Hazrat Zayd fight for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And he was made shaheed. And then Hazrat Jafar, Allahu Akbar, his hands were severed. He hugged the banner. And until he was totally killed. Till the last second, he didn't drop that banner. Allahu Akbar. And finally, Abdullah bin Rawaha, as he was going forward, he was encouraging himself. He says to himself, I'm taking a qasam to you, my nafs or my soul. You have to go down. We have to die. In ajlaman nasu wa shaddur ranna Mali araki takrahin al-janna Hal anti illa nutfatun fi shanna Illa tuqtali tamuti He addresses himself That we have to die Willingly or unwillingly He says look how people are coming to fight To destroy Islam He says why is it my soul Is it Do I sense that you dislike jannah Are you but a droplet in a container What are we And then he says if you don't die for Allah, you're still going to have to die. Rather choose the honorable death. And this is how he encouraged himself. And he went forth, Ya Allah. And he strove for Allah. And he kept on until he also fell and was made shaheed. Anyway, thereafter, Sahaba consulting during the expedition. Now imagine, subhanAllah, the contrast between the two. It's basically a miracle. How it was possible, Allah knows. This is Allah's help with the Sahaba Kiram, radiallahu anhum. They all are discussing who's to pick up the banner. And Sadiq bin Akram picks it up and rushes with it to Khalid, radiallahu anhum. Hazrat Khalid, in the expedition, says, I'm not worthy of this. He says, no, we consulted and it's you. And alhamdulillah, in the next break period, they halted. And Hazrat Khalid then consulted with his men. He then reshuffled the entire army of Sahaba, radiallahu anhum. Right wing to the left, left to the right, heart to the rear, rear to the front. And he went forward with a strategy, realizing that we can't defeat them. There are too many, but we have to slowly retreat without enabling them the ability to follow us and uh, destroying us. And like this, Hazrat Khalid maneuvered the entire expedition. And in this expedition, eight swords broke in his hands. Allahu Akbar, Sayfullah Khalid bin Walid, radiallahu ta'ala anhu. And ya Allah, he carried on striving for Allah, striving for Allah. 
until at the end, as he was retreating slowly, the Romans were shocked that these new faces, they see new faces in front of them because the entire army was reshuffled. And as they were slowly retreating with certain signs on Hazrat Khalid, the Romans then stopped following them, thinking that this is a strategy of the Muslims. And then the Romans escaped. And Alhamdulillah, the Muslims defeated in this way that they came out of the expedition with the least amount of losses possible. And imagine, who do you believe? Allahu Akbar. And we have to believe it. It's our history, Ya Allah. And, and the beautiful seerah of Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, Ya Allah, that they came out of this expedition with only 12 lives lost. Subhanallah. Subhanallah. Anyway, what's amazing in this incident that Rasulullah was in Masjid al-Nabawi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and he was giving Sahaba the report of exactly what's going on. Allah unveiled the happenings of Mu'ta to Rasulullah He told him exactly what happened to Hazrat Zaid, then what happened to Hazrat Ja'far and he was tearing and what happened to Hazrat Abdullah bin Rawaha and so forth. And then Rasulullah was silent. And then he said, a sword from the swords of Allah has come to the fore and has now picked up the banner. Allahu Akbar. And study the lives of Sahaba, how Nabi Sallallahu went to the house, houses of the shuhada, and how he supported those children, and how he treated Hazrat Jafar radiallahu's children, Ya Allah, and how he encouraged Sahaba to give support to them. Every aspect of Nabi Sallallahu life is so amazing. And also we see our brothers in Palestine are practicing this. Allah Ta'ala make it easy for the Ummah of Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Allah make it easy for our brothers in Gaza. Al-Ghazza fihi al-Izza. They have taught us how no matter what challenge comes to them, upon them, they are happy with Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala. This is the lesson of Iman. And from here we analyze that this is the blood of Sahaba radiallahu anhum in them. This is that barakat. For these advices. Alhamdulillah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala bless you for always coming out for us and giving this ummah a good and an important message. Make dua for us. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Marcus Sahaba, the voice of Ahl Sunnah wal Jama'ah.